I was in a coma for six weeks while the doctors told my wife I was going to die. When I woke up, she told me the most fantastic story. My team kept running the business without me. Freelancers reached out to my team and said, we will do whatever it takes as long as Craig's in the hospital. I consider that the greatest accomplishment in my career. My name is Craig Andrews, and this is the Leaders and Legacies podcast, where we talk to leaders creating an impact beyond themselves. At the end of today's interview, I'll tell you how you can be the next leader featured on this show. All right, today I want to welcome Sean O'Shaughnessy. He is the CEO and president of New Sales Expert. Sean concentrates on helping small and mid-sized companies optimize their sales strategy. But you know what? He has not always worked with small companies. He comes from an enterprise environment and now is devoting his time to helping smaller and mid-sized companies do it. He helps them with their process and education. He also helps sale, uh, companies transform their sales culture, implement new sales procedures uh, and processes, and install best practices. Sean has a book titled Eliminate Your Competition, A Trapper's Guide to Increasing Your Commission. Interested in learning more about the trapper's angle. And not only that, Sean has his own podcast called Two Tall Guys Talking Sales. Sean, welcome. Thank you very much, Craig. I appreciate you inviting me on. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to this conversation. And one, one of the things that you said is that you're taller than you look on Zoom. Uh, and apparently you're tall enough that you mix it up with the basketball community on a regular basis. That's correct. I'm a high school basketball official. So um, for those of you who can see me or are watching me on video, you'll see that I have lots of gray hair. So I've been doing this. I've been around in the world for a long, long time. But I played high school basketball, of course, played college football a little bit. Um, and then after coaching my son in AAU basketball for several years, and he got old enough and he had to go off to college and play basketball for them, um, I could no longer be his coach anymore. I was kind of bored and I talked to a person I ran into that was a basketball coach or basketball official. I said, how do you become an official? So at the, um, well into my forties, I became a basketball official. And now I, I officiate high school basketball in the greater Cincinnati area. Cool. Okay. So you play, you said you played basketball in high school, but football in college. Did I hear that correctly? Yeah, I actually played both. Um, football actually ended my basketball career when I was in high school. It was one of those second to last game of the year, broke my arm pretty severely. Basketball coach was a bit of a jerk. Um, then I won't say anything bad about the, the about the recent about the past people, but um he he wouldn't put me on red shirt or anything like that. So here I was in the cast, I couldn't try out, I couldn't make the team my junior year. Um, and they had a relatively successful junior year without me. Um, and so my senior year, he's like, no, you're done. You're out. So I just played football at that point. So, but I still love the sport of basketball. Now you're from the Midwest. This one Bobby Knight or something, was it? Uh, you know, I, I have met Mr. Knight. Um, and you know, it was a sad day. I was born and raised in Indiana. And, um, the only time I ever met him was when I was just done taking a shower after basketball practice, when that same high school coach thought I was going to be, you know, much bigger than I really am today. Um, but he thought I was going to be six, eight, cause I was growing fast as a very young kid. And, um, so he wanted to make sure that I met Bobby Knight. So Bobby Knight came in right after my freshman practice 
Um, I shook him, shook his hand when I'm still wearing a towel. Um, uh-huh. And so that's my only time I've ever met Mr. Knight, but I'm a big fan of Bobby Knight. Well, so what was he like in person? He was just like my dad. And that's, you know, so he was uh, a big guy, strong guy, had strong personalities, kind of encouraged me, you know, keep working out, keep keep playing basketball, go to the parks, play against really tough kids, play against kids that are guys that are older than you. Um, but he was very, very um, uplifting and supportive. And he was like, good luck in the season. You're, you're going to do great. You have a great coach. Complimented my, my, my head varsity coach several times because he was trying to get I got a kid that was a couple of years ahead of me is trying to get that kid into, into um, IU. So I think it was more about, you know, impressing the varsity coach than impressing this little freshman that he was seeing with the towel wrapped around his, his waist. Boy, what, what a, uh, what a story you, you meet a basketball legend and you're wearing nothing but a towel. <laughs> That's right. You know, and you know, I, I would guess that there's a bunch of people that have met basketball coaching legends that have worn nothing but towels because they come and they watch the practice when they're recruiting and they say, who should we talk to? Who should I talk to? And, you know, they walk in the locker room and we just got done taking a shower. So yeah, we're probably, ha- well, a lot of people that he meets are probably half dressed when they first meet. I guess the other way of looking at it is uh, thankfully you were wearing at least a towel. That's right. That's exactly right. So, um, so now you coach, uh, you coach or you referee high school basketball. Yes. Yes. So, um, and, and this is kind of a shout out for everybody out there that has any kind of athletic inclination. And even if you're really not, because um, there's a fair number of officials you can be that you don't have to be very athletic. Um, most places in the country need officials really badly. Um, it's a big deal. It's bad when a freshman team can't get a game played because they don't have officials. That could be in football. That could be in baseball. That could be in wrestling. That could be in volleyball. Um, we just don't have enough officials in the world. So that's my first message to everybody out there. If you have any interest in giving back to your local community, to the kids that are trying to get better and beat athletes and, and just learn about winning and losing and the challenges of working hard, go be a go be an official of some kind, whatever sport you enjoy. Um, if you don't think you're athletic enough, go do volleyball where you don't have to move very much. Go do swimming where you don't have to move very much. Um, if you do have some athletic capabilities, if you can still run up and down a field or a court or a diamond, then go do baseball, go do soccer, go do one of those. Every sport across the country needs officials. And if you really, really don't want to do that, remember, yelling at the official is not a sport. And that's why we don't have enough officials. You know, and you know, one of the things we like to talk about here is leadership. And I think about the challenges of, um, you know, like high school basketball versus college basketball versus pro you know, and and i um you know and i think coach k was wise in knowing his sweet spot and not going up to the pros and but what would you say that you know you, you've you've played high school and you've played college and now you're refereeing or um well you, yeah yeah now you're refereeing what have you learned about leadership in that journey so the thing that I've learned more and else watching good coaches and bad coaches, and I probably learned more from the bad coaches than I do from the good coaches, right? But the good coaches are very supportive of their kids. They understand that kids make mistakes. They understand that kids are going to get better, that they need to be taught what's what's working, what's not working for them. They need to they need to be coached, not yelled at, not not told what to do. They need to be coached. 
And that's the same thing in real life as well. In real life, in real life, meaning business life, um, not to say the athletics isn't real life. Um, but in, in, in business life, the thing that people need to understand is you need to coach your, your employees, your, your people that are on your team, you need to coach them through their problems, coach them through their losses, coach them through their successes. You know, why did that play work? Make sure, and in, in, if you're coaching in a sport, you want to make sure that the kids understand why did that play work? You know, if it's football, we blocked it this way because in football, it takes 11 guys to do the to do the play. And, and if one of them doesn't do it, you might blow the whole play. Why did that play work? What was the strategy of the play? So the more you coach your kids on doing the right things, the better off they're going to be. They learn and they can do it themselves and they can do it when you're not coaching them. Same thing with real life and sales is which my, my specialty um, coaching on why did that pitch work? Why did that presentation work? Why didn't it work? Those are really important things. And just saying you aren't making your number, you're out of here, which is one bad management technique um, just doesn't work anymore. You know, something I've run into is I've seen sales folks. So we, you know, we work with folks using HubSpot. And HubSpot has a great feature where it will record your sales calls and what have you. And you can go back and review that. And I run into sales folks that don't want to have their calls recorded. And my gut tells me is they don't want to be critiqued. But when I think about, you know, you have multi-million dollar athletes on the field. And what do they have? They have coaches. Yeah. So every golfer, every professional golfer, and I say every, cause I don't know them all. So I gotta be careful when I say every, of course, every professional golfer travels with a coach. If you, if you go to a golfing match and you go early or, uh, or you don't have to go early, just go before some of the last people go off and you go to the practice range and watch them warm up. There's somebody there that is watching their swing, watching what they do, give them a little bit of advice. Hey, that one went a little bit left of, of where you wanted to go. That one went a little bit right. Let's make sure we're got our hands perfectly. They'll look at them, they'll watch it. And these are men and women that have probably hit 1,000 to 2,000, maybe even 10,000 balls per day for most of their lives. And they still have a coach standing by them, watching what they do, critiquing what they do, trying to get just a little bit better. And I think that's important for every sales professional to realize, probably every professional to realize that as good as you are, you can always learn from somebody else. And the, the, the goal of leadership is to allow that learning to happen and to make it such that it isn't a put down, you, you're doing this wrong, you know, the cussing at them, doing, the, doing bad things, but instead encouraging them, let, let's just try this. Let's try this little technique. Let's try this a little bit differently and see how that works for you. And understanding that everybody's different. Your grip is going to be different if you're a golfer, if you're a salesperson, the way you talk, the inflections in your voice, all of those things matter. And having a coach walk you through that and help you with that, it just makes sense. So I think that when people say, I don't want to be recorded because I don't want anybody to listen to my sales call, I think it's more because they've had a bad experience where they literally have not had the help. And there hasn't been any good suggestions that have come out of those conversations. They've been all bad suggestions. They're not, not so much bad suggestions, but they've been put in a bad way. And they haven't been 
with the desire of coaching and getting people moving forward and telling them why it's going to work and why we should just try it. If it doesn't work for you, then we'll go back to the old way, right? So always be hum- have humility when you're a leader, when you're a coach, that you're actually saying, you might not have the perfect answer, but let's experiment together and let's get this better. And it gets people more excited. You know, one of the stats I love to look at is the difference between a top 10 batter and a and somebody that's getting sent back down to the minors. You know, so in this season, there were nine people that batted over 300. And there were only two that batted below 200. And so what that means is the difference between being in the top 10, not top 10%, top 10 batters in the league and being sent down to the minors is your ability to connect with one extra pitch out of 10. Right. That's exactly right. And and it's a great thing to remember when you're in sales that you're not going to succeed every single time. And that's okay. You got to keep on going. And in fact, there's lots of studies out there about the success of sales. And it's one of my pet peeves in, in life that we don't train our salespeople enough. Um, but most studies that are out on the market say at least 25%, and some will say up to 50% of people don't make their quota when they're in sales. Now, you could argue that in some of those cases, it was an unfair quota. They had no chance of making it, blah, blah, blah. That's fine if you want to say that. So take out 10% or 20% for the bad managers, bad CFOs that gave out stupid quotas. But you still had an amazing amount of failure. If we had failure uh, that we give, that we expect of our salespeople in any other profession, bridges would collapse, buildings would collapse, and planes would land upside down. <laughs> that's such a great point. I, that, that's just an amazing point. Uh, and that's true. And it's, um, you know, and when, when I think about that, that difference in the batting average, you know, this is so competitive. It's just a small, difference right it's a small difference and if if you're going to be at the top of your game the difference between you you know you being at the top of the game and maybe looking you know being let go is so small you need a coach that's going to help you squeeze out that extra performance exactly right exactly right you you know they they talk in the nfl about you know they're everybody's always worried about getting replaced by the younger guy that's right behind them because the difference in somebody, the speed difference in a, a wide receiver, the ability to, to do something at the, on the line is so small. And the number two player is so close to being the number one player, the, the, the starting um, linebacker or whatever. It's very, very close. Now, you always have those superstars that do amazingly well and they're fantastic. But the vast majority of the team is not made done by superstars. They're done by guys that just work hard. They're working hard every single day and they have weight trainers to, to make them strong. They have flexibility trainers to make sure that they don't get hurt. They have massage therapists to make sure they don't get hurt. They have people that are on the on the sidelines saying, you know, you didn't you didn't quite hit that guy just just right, or you didn't quite use your hands just right, and that's why he got by you. Let's not do that again. Let's watch that tape. You know that every football player, every baseball player, every basketball player is watching tape all the time of themselves, trying to get better, trying to refine their craft and get that little bit extra. And they have coaches that are doing it for them as well. They have a team of coaches that are actually watching and giving them suggestions how to get just a little bit better. And this is something that we need to accept as salespeople 
that we need to get a little bit better. Because, you know, if we would close one more deal per year, it'd be amazing with that change in our W-2, our commission rate. Yeah, and and kind of putting a bow on that, I think if somebody like Michael Jordan, who, what did he make? 10, 20, 30 million a year? Right. You know, I, I, I forget, but tens of millions. If somebody like Michael Jordan values a coach in his life and he's making that much money, uh, you would have to be the exceptionally rare salesperson to make an argument against having a coach in your sales exactly, life. Exactly right. Which is why, you know, sometimes you don't get your your coach and your, and your manager and that's too bad, right? So it's unfortunate. So you have to find coaches other ways. Podcasts are great, like, like what we're doing here. Um, books are great. There's lots of great books to go out there and read. There are blog articles to read. You should always be trying to get better to craft. There's so much stuff that's put out on LinkedIn. They literally, you probably couldn't read it all in a day with all the good advice on, on sales that is happening on LinkedIn right now. Um, so it's it's a great place to learn. So every salesperson needs to dedicate their life to, am I learning about sales? Am I learning about my industry? Am I learning about my competition? Am I learning about my customer's industry? Do I know how to actually talk about business with my customer? You have so much to learn as a salesperson. You need coaches to help you get through it all. So what do you do? What, what's you, you help people with sales. That's right. I help people with sales. So you alluded to this a little bit at the top of the podcast. I spent 35 years helping big companies primarily um, with sales. And I learned a lot of great practices, great best, best practices in sales. I also learned some things not to do. And some of those things I learned not to do were through the school of hard knocks. And I'll admit that. So I didn't always have great coaches in my life. And sometimes I just made mistakes and figured out what I did wrong. But about three years ago, I said, I am tired of traveling the world. I literally had enough freaking flyer points. I could go around the world a couple of times. I can probably stay in a hotel room every night for the next two years and not pay a dime. So I have all kinds of hotel points. I don't want to do that anymore. I lived out of a briefcase and a suitcase for a long, long, long time. And so I got to that point in my career when I looked around and I go, there's so many companies in just in my network, in my area, my Southern Ohio, Ohio, Northern Kentucky area, which is where I live. There are probably 5,000 companies that struggling with sales. As a, almost as a rule, if you are a small business person, there's kind of two reasons why you're small. One, you haven't figured out how to scale to be big. The other reason is you don't want to. And that's fair. If you don't want to be big, if you don't want to grow and have lots of employees, that's perfectly fine. But if you want to be bigger, if you want to be $100 million versus 10, if you want to be $500 million versus $50 million, probably the reason you're not being successful is sales. That's what I see over and over again. You know, you can you can figure out how to manufacture that part. You can figure out how to hire the right people to, to, to deliver the service if you're a service provider. But the challenge that most people have is I can't bring enough revenue in. And that's why you should be really understanding that sales and marketing is hard. And so let's get professionals in there to help you to give actually it all better. And that's what I do. I bring those big company philosophies and best practices take out some of the overhead that makes those the big companies can afford the small companies can't. And I bring those best practices into small companies to teach them how to do sales. One of the challenges I would imagine you face is, you know, let's say the sales manager brings you into a company and back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, there's one of the members of the sales team 
that takes that as a chastisement rather than a resource all the time. How do you navigate that? So the first thing I do with the sales team is the very first meeting I have, I explain to every single one of them that I am fractional, that I am not here to be here for very long. And I'm not here to get promoted. I don't want the CEO's job. I don't want the senior VP of sales. I just want to be the sales director or whatever. Most, most of my clients aren't big enough to really truly have vice presidents. Um, I'm just going to, I'm just here to help you guys. So I'm going to help run the company. I'm not going to take out anybody's job. I'm not going to hurt them on their promotions because I am not here to do that. I need to leave. The customer, my client has to, in my terms, graduate. They have to be able to run without me and being around all the time. So I tell them that straight up, that my job is to make them better, to make them more money on commission, to make their job easier. Because I also know that a lot of times those small, those small companies, part of the reason that the salespeople aren't as executing as well as they should is, has nothing to do with them. They're trying really hard, but there's some roadblocks that are in the company. And I can, you know, I can go to the CEO and say, look, you hired me to fix this. You've got to fix this portion of the company because that's what's holding you back on sales. So I, I can give that advice when potentially they can't, or maybe they're not, their advice isn't being taken. Uh, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's so shrewd. It's, and, and, you know, I think that's, that's an, a lesson in leadership. You know, I, for me, for, as a marketer, I'm always trying to think what's that voice of insecurity speaking in someone and how do we, how do we comfort that voice and how do we, you know, address those fears one of the fears is what's going on in the economy. You know, there's I, there's different views and I'm not here to debate what is and what isn't. Let me ask you, what are you seeing uh, happen in the economy and what would you recommend to uh, sales teams out there? So there's no question that if you are doing multi-million dollar deals, mm -hmm. that that will be a bit of an issue with your client because they have to finance that. They have to figure out if that's the good use of their money. Their internal rate of return on that investment and into your product is probably pretty high or and higher than it's been because they're a little worried about, you know, putting that kind of money into any individual project or product. However, that's not the case for most small businesses. So I made the illusion or talked to a second ago about companies that are under $50 million in revenue. Most companies, not all, but most companies that sell a product and then let's just assume they're not a distributor or reseller that has a geographic territory that they have to worry about. But if they're making a product, if they're making a thing, they can probably sell that product nationwide. They may be able to sell it globally as well, depending on if that product is acceptable in foreign countries. And in those cases, just about every one of those products is competing in a market that's probably measured in the billions. There's very few markets in the United States that are not at least a billion Rev dollars in revenue strong. And so I look at them, I go, so you're a $20 million company and your market that you're going after is a $2 billion market. Do the math on what that means on your market share. So they, they do the math. I do it on the board with them. You know, we do the math right there on the board. We, everybody else out there, iPhone, they do the calculator, they figure it out. And they find out that they have an exceptionally small market share. So a market share that is so small that who cares if the market goes back down 5%. Who cares if you know that $2 billion market goes down to 1.9 billion? Do the math on that and you find out that you still have an exceptionally small market share. So most salespeople need to come into life thinking that there is more to sell, more cost customers to help, 
more prospects to find than they can ever do it in any given day. And so don't worry about the market. Don't let the economists scare you. Like don't even watch the nightly news. And I tell people don't watch the nightly news, but go ahead and do it because you know you need, you need to be well-informed. You need to be a smart salesperson, but don't pay attention to what the economy is doing. Don't let that get in your way. You have people that are taking dollars from you on a regular basis, your competition, and you might have hundreds. I have a client that has 10,000 competitors, at least. We did a search and we found out there's 10,000 people, companies that do almost exactly the same thing they do. Who cares if the market goes down 2% or 3% or 5% in their marketplace? They have 10,000 people that are trying to take their money away from them. And that's how you got to think of it. You, you alluded to the fact that I wrote a book on, called Eliminate Your Competition. The goal is to beat your competition in all cases. And it doesn't matter if your market has gone down 5% or 10%. Most likely it's not. And most likely it's a short-term blip anyway. Just hurry up and go get more customers. The sign of a great company is a company that grows when times are bad. So well said. Well, Sean, as this has been an amazing conversation. I really want to thank you for being on Leaders and Legacies. Uh, you have your own podcast called Two Tall Guys Talking Sales, and you have your book, Eliminate the Competition. How can people reach you? Where should they look for you? The best place to find me is on LinkedIn. I post almost every day something on LinkedIn. Some days I'll take off, not so much on weekends. So I post on LinkedIn a lot. You can find me, Sean O'Shaughnessy. I'm sure the show notes is going to have my name and how to productively correctly spell my name on, on the show notes. But um, so you can always reach out to me there. Happy to talk to everybody that reaches out to me. You can also just drop me an email and that's Sean, S-E-A-N at newsales.expert. It's not .com, it's newsales.expert. All right. Well, thanks again, Sean. Thank you very much, Craig. This has been fun. I enjoyed the conversation. This is Craig Andrews. I want to thank you for listening to the Leaders and Legacies podcast. We're looking for leaders to share how they're making an impact beyond themselves. If that's you, please go to alliesforme.com slash guest and sign up there. If you got something out of this interview, we would love you to share this episode on social media. Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone who would be a great guest, tag them on social media and let them know about the show, including the hashtag Leaders and Legacies. I love seeing your posts and suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss anything, please go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to my team. If you want to know more, please go to alliesforme.com uh, or follow me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.